and welcome to That Tech Show, the podcast that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is new technology. I am your host, Chris Adams. And I am your host, Samuel Gregory. On this show, we talk with influencers in the technology industry, and we share their experiences with you. You don't have to be technical to listen to this show. We want it to be open and accessible to everyone. We might go a little deep on certain subjects at times, but just let that wash over you as we reveal the stories that have gone into the creation of life-changing products that have come to define our new way of normal life. So if you like tech, gadgets, history, or speculating about the future, if you're in tech or want to build a career in tech, then this show could be for you. We're excited to bring you new stories each week, but this doesn't have to be just a one-way relationship. You can get in touch with us on social platforms, via email at hello at thattech.show, or join us for our weekly tech news show on Twitch, which is also available wherever you get podcasts. And if you like this content, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I know everyone asks you to do that, but it really does help get the word out and share this content with other people who might be interested. So, introductions out of the way, let's get on with the first episode. Sam, who have we got on the show today? Ollie Smith is a good friend of mine. We met a few years ago when we were both working full-time in London and have since gone on to start our own digital agencies. And he is the CTO of his own digital agency, Radically Digital. Well, that sounds great. So without further ado, here's Ollie Schmidt. Thanks, Ollie, for joining me on the uh, podcast. I'm actually really excited to have a developer chat, been able to geek out of development and sort of, you know, thanks thanks for joining us. I'm absolutely chuffed to be here and I'm actually happy that you're my first. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first first time someone's ever said that. So, uh... (laughs) all right, okay. How did you how did you learn how to code? Where did you start? Oh, um, it, it's it's weird. I think it's like one of those. It, it wasn't probably. It, essentially, essentially, my dad's been very, very technology focused, like you know, throughout our entire lives, and um, we got a computer very, very early on. The the people that he used to deal with were you know based in Asia, based in America, based in Europe, so. Every so often, we'd actually get sent stuff that actually wasn't even out in South Africa. So, you know, oh, we had a, we had a twenty eight k modem like when dial up didn't even really exist in South Africa, and we had to oh. dial all the way over to the US. And I remember, you know, having Netscape Navigator dialing over to the US, and we were only allowed to browse the internet for like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes at a time. Is that because of costs you got? 15 minutes yeah there was there was a there was a cost thing involved and then eventually south africa changed their entire pricing where you could actually uh have an international call for like up to one hour for a massively discounted rate um so then our browsing time got increased over to one hour um wow but i was gonna say so my dad would often say you know i've got friends i've heard them they don't have to pay for all these games that you're wanting so he's like, you can get them off the internet somewhere. He's like, figure out how to do that. So, you know, you learn how to obtain very, very <laughs> free games <laughs> on the internet. Um, and it was just figuring out how to actually patch these things and, and get them up and running on, you know, your your computer that, you know, you pretty much had to install hardware to run various devices. Um, so I would say that was probably my intro to computers and actually having to dig around with code and files and probably said that that was where it got deep and nerdy then 
I moved off into the engineering space. And so, I, yeah, again, my dad, from an engineering background, he said, you know, it's probably best if you do this. I was actually quite keen to study psychology. Um, and yeah, I got, I got pushed into an engineering job because he said, you know, that's, that's your ticket. You know, that's your plan B essentially if, if something bad happens. So studied engineering against my, my best of intentions, but, um, I got, I got intro introduced to a really, really cool company that specialized in filling automation. And I worked as a project engineer for quite a long time. And that was just managing how these projects would go to schedule and, I identified that we were spending a hell of a lot of money on actually getting these things uh, programmed. Um, so, yeah, we, we I got given the opportunity to program these machines, and that was it was it was very weird. There were quite a few different engineering languages that you could program, and most of them were actually quite graphical, and that was quite cool. And then there were a couple of things that were structured text, um, so not like a C based kind of language. Um, and yeah, there was there were various things, and it was just constantly butting heads with the, the way that people were working, and then being able to try and use the tools that we had available to us to try and replicate stuff. There was a job that came through, and we had to we had to create a control system for it was like something like sixty motors, and the way that I was taught to do it is that you would manually copy and paste and create these motors one by one, and I was just like but I'm literally copying and pasting and then I'm changing the input number and I'm changing the output number. You know, how do I, how do I automate this? So that's when I started doing a bit of a dive into Excel. And then, you know, I, I literally had this Excel spreadsheet that would program this motor controller and replace the template um, as a saw fit. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's when it got started to get really, really code orientated and actually programming and developing and, kind of building up my understanding of how templates work, how these methods and these functions kind of intertwine and reusable blocks and modules. Um, so how did you how did you learn? Because as a brief example, and you touched upon something that everyone can relate to, you said that you're copying and pasting and you're changing inputs and outputs. And I think that's where my, in particular JavaScript, that's where my learning of javascript began here's a slider okay if i could change that thing it slides slower or faster or whatever yeah. um and that was me kind of learning yeah and i'm sure a lot of people learn like that copying pasting if i you know change that that happens or whatever and i'm guessing then the resources weren't readily available when i mean you tell yeah. me when you were trying to what was Stack Overflow online, or were you buying books, or were you literally just going at it, you know, yeah. figuring it out? I think it was it was a combination. When initially, like right back at the beginning, it was an, it was kind of reading forums or various internet pages to try and figure out, you know, what was happening. And you know, if you if you kind of reason about things, you know, the reason why my trial expired for a certain game was because something changed. You know, so what what was it actually looking at? Was it looking at the data? Was it some sort of a file that got created? So how do I monitor the file system, or like how do I inspect where this this thing is writing to? What year was this, by the way? Oh God, uh, probably when I was like eleven, so nineteen years ago. Mm. If my math is not too far off. And like, I mean, 
I'm not. <laughs> I mean, my math is terrible too. I think mean, like, as as developers, as engineers, our uh, math is terrible. But um, we just Google that quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, like it's still a time where resources and things weren't really available, and you had to kind of figure things yeah. out. And nowadays, we take all that for granted. And in fact, you was it you posted something on LinkedIn the other day, which was about testing people's competency like in in a developer interview like testing someone's knowledge being in being able to code it's it's problem solving and things like yeah. that was it you that posted something it, like that it sounds very very much like something i would say um, yeah we all, all of the people that i work with we we develop systems mm. it's like we take it for granted and it's like we know. We now know. I think it was Einstein. I always quote Einstein because this is. I always quote Einstein, but I don't actually know what he said. Um, it's it's related to this. It's don't waste brain capacity. This is my interpretation now, right? Don't waste brain capacity trying to remember things that you can just look up. In fact, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna Google it now. Einstein, remember quote. This is developers in action right now. Um, never remember, never memorize something you can look up. That's what he said, and yeah. and in the same way, and as developers and things like that, we know we can look things up. In fact, m- maybe you have a different interpretation of this, but I know my strength as a developer because when I first mm. started, I would get a list of Google results and wouldn't have a flipping clue about where to start you know yeah. i'd click into every single link and exactly like whatever that. but now i know brr, that's the one and i can see that and yeah. um, maybe that's do- google doing a good job about taking that but i've done it before um i can kind of know what it's i'm looking a, for it's absolutely amazing how you know you you learn to actually adapt your search query to google's you know, mm. to what you, what you think that Google will actually yield the most accurate yeah. results with. Um, we've just got an intern that actually started with us today, and we went through a pairing exercise. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I was pairing with this intern today, and it, w- it was just amazing where you sit there, you're like, cool, let's, let's, let's try to do this in pseudocode. Let's, let's break this problem down to step by step. If, when, then, you know, he's got a pretty scientific background. So I was like, let's formulate the hypothesis. Let's you know, con- like pull in all the constraints, and then let's you know make sure that we can we can spit out some sort of a desirable result. It's like okay, cool, fine. First thing, first thing you googled was, you know, if I do this, then I get that, and how do I make it? Do? Ah, yeah, <laughs> like, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, that's really yeah. interesting because yeah, like, and and in fact, I've encouraged people to search like that because yeah. sometimes you'll be penalised. Um, exactly. for not what, what's, the, what's the word per site let me google that for you yeah sometimes they'll put in a ter- search term and that's actually all you need to put yeah. in google and that again you just figure out what it is you need to search like yeah. like i have told people maybe in that scenario i would or maybe maybe advise them to break it down into type type that chunk out in plain english and start with that rather yeah. than chaining the whole thing together because it's is encouraged it's, it's yeah i think the mentality goes right back to your beginning where you're just given a challenge and you're just trying to, to 
throw everything at it exactly you know, just figure it out yeah who was it yeah I, I can't remember what it was but it's like you know just let's throw as many things as we can and see what sticks <laughs> it's exactly absolutely. that absolutely yeah. um okay so before we go too deep into uh other things let's do a quick intro um so did you want to into kind of introduce introduction as to who you are what you do and let us learn about ollie smith Brilliant. Cool. Um, yeah, so uh, my name's Oliver Smith. Um, I'm the CTO and co-founder of Radically Digital. Um, and what I do is I solve problems for clients, preferably interesting ones. How did Radically Digital form then? Because you're a founding member, right? So I went through I went through a bit of a career rebrand. And the first job that I got out of Makers Academy was um, a, a job at a consultancy. I worked there for quite a while. And I was I was constantly being put forward for a couple of interviews, um, and they were really really senior positions. And having having quite an, a, a decent background, and then applying fresh out of a, of a maker's boot camp, and having to all of a sudden now be applying for these mid level senior roles, it, it was kind of unsettling, and I, I didn't feel like it was too fair, um, especially when I knew what the day rates were actually. <laughs> um, and they. They, the, the the company that I worked for before, they actually sent me for a very very stressful interview with quite a large bank for this massive remigration over to React, and I came out of that and I felt absolutely sick. I, it was just it was one of the worst interviews that I've ever had in my entire life, and I sat there and I was just like, you know what, this isn't this isn't fair on me, and if I'm having to interview for all these clients and I'm having to jump through all these hoops, I may as well be doing it myself. Um, so yeah, so I think that's kind of where the the thought of contracting or starting my own company kind of entered my head as far as consulting was concerned. Um, I then went to it was within a, within the next week. I went out for a couple of beers, and a, a very good friend of mine that I actually went to Makers Academy with, um, she actually she was like, "Look, we're actually looking for some cool people. If you'd like to, I will refer you to this company." Um, so yeah, so she referred me into the company. Um, I didn't know that the incentive scheme was that high. I thought it was just because she liked me, but it turns out <laughs> the referral bonus was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that was when we crossed paths and we got thrown into the same project from the get-go, which is pretty cool. Um, and I remember... Was that Talk Talk? No, it wasn't Talk Talk. It was the it was the entire rebrand of their current website. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah. I've been on other projects, see. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, so I got thrown into the project and they were like, cool, um, you've led projects in the past. And I was like, yeah, but I've only got a couple of months of experience within, you know, web tech. And they were like, no, nah, no, nah, you'll be fine. <laughs> we're gonna give you a, we're gonna give you a team of six people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's, that's when I met Sam. And... Um, yeah, it was it was just interesting having chats with you and and trying to. There were there were a lot of things I had I had a few opinions at that stage because of the people that I'd been exposed to, and then immediately met you and you were just like, look, I, I appreciate what you're trying to say over there, but this is the experience that I've had, and this is what I want to go down. Um, <laughs> That's what makes me sound like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what is it? I'm gonna throw my experience at you. No, but it, it was wasn't exactly like that, but. I, I thought that it was an awesome approach, and I think it's Kent Beck that always says um, you need to have, you know, you need to have strong opinions but hold them weakly. 
And I thought that you were honestly one of the first people that I'd ever met that was just totally transparent, honest, and kind of candid, but willing to adapt to whatever way that the team or your lead was actually willing to or wanting to go down. Um, and again, me being completely ignorant at the time, I was just like, well, this is kind of what we're committed to. And you were like, no, no, but I'm gung-ho sure about this. And I was like, cool. Well, then you run with that. I trust you and your experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to try and learn as much as I can from you. Um, worked at this company. Um, and I think just like you, had an absolutely amazing experience for a long period of time. Um, I got headhunted by another consultancy. The other consultancy, I wasn't too, uh, I, I realized after a couple of months, they weren't that great. And it was kind of, you know, previous experience, worked at this awesome consultancy, then went to a, a really, really bad place. And I was just like, you know what, I'm actually done with this. I'm going to just, you know, do my own thing now. And so one of the guys that I actually met at Ann Digital, um, Bobby, who's my co-founder, um, him and I always had these conversations where we were like, you know, we should definitely be doing this. You know, there, there's such cool opportunities. There's things that we could improve on. There's, there's ways that we could do this better. So we always kind of had that in the back of our heads. And after joining this terrible consultancy, I was just like, look, are you ready to make a jump? Because, you know, I need to make a change now. Um, so, yeah, so we had a chat. And the strategy that we made put forward, you know, we both acted in our separate ways. It took us about six months, but we formed this company called Radically Digital. And, yeah, we've we've, you know, essentially tried to embody most of the good experiences that we've had within our consulting experience, but then at the same time trying to eliminate as much as we can of the bad experiences or at least be aware of them so we can, you know, circumvent them. I think I can totally relate to that when you're in, when you're out of the companies or other consultancies and you see how things are run and you think, how are these clowns still in business, right? Exactly. And right. There's, there's a thing I'll get into, which I think I kind of understand it a bit more now. Um, but also at the same time, I just want to commend you on being able to constantly remind yourself of that because my, def my defense for them is certainly for running my own company is that you do get caught up in the weeds and there is so much to think about. Mm. There's so, so much to think about. And I'm a one-man band, so I can imagine as you grow a company, things get more comp complicated. You lose sight of certain things. So I would, you know... The dream is when I started my company, and it sounds like it's the same as your company, is that you take all the good stuff that you've learned and apply it to your new company. And if you keep doing it, it's going to turn into a fantastic company. Because you do, you forget, you get caught up, you get stressed exactly. out, you lose sight of certain things as well. So that's really cool. So at Radically Digital then, what's jumping into clients and things like that what do clients typically ask of Radically Digital? It's actually, because we're in a startup phase, it's, it's, still, it's still very ad hoc, the jobs that come through. But I think slowly but surely, most of our clients come to the realization that although we got pulled in for a piece of work initially, there's actually quite a few other problems that we can solve. And then I think that's also where they come into this whole mindset of, you know, these are various systems and how do these systems actually communicate with one another? Um, so whether or not it's the actual teams functioning together or whether it's pieces of code or whether or not it's the developers actually communicating their value to the larger organization, um, 
I think that the clients realize that we help with those flows. We're not, you know, subject matter experts in selling cat products, but we do understand how the developers would, you know, make sure that their code that does sell cat products delivers the value to the customers and at the same time that the larger organization can actually understand that the developers, you know, what the developers are actually dealing with without having to be experts within development itself. Mm. So I'm trying to pick that apart in my brain, right? Because my, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you kind of go in to solve a specific problem, but actually you end up filtering out through the organization, solving other problems and finding other ways you can help. Like, is that right? That's more or less exactly what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we we do often get called in for a certain task, and then again, it's it's by us helping these various teams and filtering into the teams. You know, we hit the ground running, and we make sure that we're you know off the cuff. We're we're delivering value, as in you know helping the the, the various teams actually continue with their coding. But then at the same time, we're also delivering value in uh, helping the stakeholders actually understand what the the teams are doing, and. You know, increasing that communication, you more often than not get invited to other departments, especially if you're seen as somebody that can at least help mitigate some of the pain. And that's how we kind of filter our way through various organizations. It's 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 not necessarily a marketing strategy. We just kind of fell into the spot. You know, it's not like we're actually trying to filter through an entire organization. It's just you know, sometimes people see that you have got a good effect. And once the team is up and running, 100%, we move on. Um, we do try to have these honest, open, transparent conversations and say, I mean, right now I'm actually working at a company and they have a uh, tech lead that's gone off for a while and they've asked us to come and step in and actually help them uh, alleviate some of the pain that they were facing before. We've come in and we've realized that although they did have a functionality that they've they've earmarked for, or they, they, they have a so they were wanting a technical architect. The technical architect was probably doing a lot more than just technical architecture. So I've had to now step in and I'm not only doing development over there, but we're also trying to act as a scrum master, bring in various scrum processes and then at the same time improve um, the enthusiasm within the actual development team. The development team itself can be quite siloed, and they're all absolutely brilliant developers, but they, they do tend to be quite siloed. And I've seen it in remote teams before, but this isn't a largely remote organization. So it's trying to figure out what's the best way that we can at least leave them in a better position once once we leave did they know this or did they want this from you when they hired you or did that that come about after being there and thinking wow this dev team really needs to kick up the bum or they need a process where they can follow and to be motivated and all the rest of it we, we did get brought in for a certain role and i've i've identified that look although you might do, you might need that capability it's not as um, as important as you think it is. Um, you've got a really, really brilliant team, but the problem is that your team isn't completely communi- well, isn't communicating with each other. So how do we actually attack these communication problems? How do we actually make sure that the team feels valued within the larger organization? Um, 
there's been a couple of comments and a couple of red flag comments, which I, I would call them, where the team doesn't know. They're running through all the Scrum processes, but they don't necessarily know what the Scrum processes are doing. And it's, you know, why are we doing a review? Well, we need to allow the stakeholders to actually get excited about the work that you guys are developing, you know. And it's also, it's, it's a really, really great touch point to figure out, you know, this is where we interact and what's actually valuable for you might not be the hard problem that I'm solving. An example that I used the other day is, you know, we've got a whole bunch of content creators for this, this charity that we're working for at the moment. And, you know, a little bold, you know, icon for them to, to be able to toggle bold mode on within their text editor might only take you 15 minutes, but that is super, super valuable for the organization. You might be doing a whole bunch of refactoring work that's not valuable to the organization at all, but it's a very, very valuable engineering task. So how do you, you know, balance out the value at the end of that two-week period or that, that you know, that, that sprint commitment that you guys have made or your people have made? Um, and, you know, how do we make sure that the business understands the value that you can bring and then at the same time gives you enough faith to actually carry on doing what you need to do? Mm. Um, you mentioned something really interesting, something about Scrum there. And it was actually on the website project. And I think it was after you left whereby um, there was a realization I was having with um, Matt, who I've also spoken to, where we we shared a very similar value of Scrum and Agile. And it was a, it was a value of isn't commonly understood by people um, doing Agile. Mm. And you said it there as well. It's a lot of teams are like we are having morning stand-up we are doing the reviews we are doing a retrospective we are agile yeah and it's like no you're doing the events but it's not the events that make it agile it's understanding the underlying values and trying to you know utilize fast thinking and and you know what i mean like there's core values that carry across and the events facilitate those values, yeah. but you could, if you understand the core values, you can kind of wing it a little bit, yeah. you know? It's really interesting, you know? I do I do like that, and that's that's one of the things where, again, it's it, it was kind of one of those experiences, and I got taken up into this really, really awesome um, control system engineering company when I first came to the UK, and they said, we do everything in Agile. Um, we're going to put you on an agile course and you know you'll know agile inside out and that's going to be absolutely amazing i was like cool this sounds really really good my entire experience has been in waterfall projects i've heard about your agile thing it sounds like it's pretty cool um i got to the client after my you know three days of agile training i got i got to this client it was at mars foods i hope i can say that but um, (laughs) i got to mars foods and i was like cool it's like, we're going to develop this project and we're going to deliver it in an agile fashion. And he was like, cool, what does it mean? And I was like, well, every single two weeks, you know, we're going to come back and we're going to tell you what we've developed. And he's like, yeah, I really don't care. It's a production line. It's got a two-year scope. I don't want to talk to you every two weeks. Just tell me when it's done. Okay, cool. But, you know, if you wanted to, but you can't you can't pivot a production line. How are we going to um well, we can give you progress reports. Is it, yeah, yeah, give me a progress report. Cool. And then it just defeats the whole purpose of Agile. Um, so it was kind of like that. And then you get all of a sudden into software engineering. And 
you realize that, hey, we could pivot at any second, we could change direction, all of a sudden we realize that the users actually need something else that you know we originally didn't accommodate within our designs. So that's what's cool about that whole two-week commitment, is that you know we can change the directions or we can say, you know what, that, that was cool, but coronavirus has just come up. All right. So we actually need to put all efforts on actually making sure that we can produce like an FAQ system for our blog right now. All right. The blog wasn't that important, but now with coronavirus, it's a high priority. Please, please, please make that happen within the next sprint. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it goes down to those values. It's not just it's, it's being able to recognize what's important right now, really taking those retrospectives and those reviews yeah. seriously enough to not just not just do the ceremonies but actually take that moment to think what can we do in the next two weeks we've got the next two weeks ahead of us what can we do here and what's the most important thing right now it's easy to get caught in the focus on the long-term goals but if something pops up you need to be ready in your mind and your values to be able to go boom and do what's important then one of the things that I absolutely love about it and Scrum is that it just it, com- it creates this environment where it's almost like we have faith in what you are delivering and what you do. And we're going to do our thing and we're going to say, look, in two weeks, you, you can do whatever you want within two weeks. All right. Here's the backlog that we'd like done. However you want to handle that, you go for it and you do it. All right. In two weeks, we might change direction. So you better be ready within two weeks to, you know, be able to pick up some other work. But within that two-week period, listen, you know, you go off and you do your thing. I don't know necessarily what you do, but I want my search box at the end of that two weeks if you can deliver it. All right. And it's, it's it, 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 again, it allows a communication between a really, really technical team and the larger organization, which, again, has a skill set that the developers don't necessarily understand. So it's... It's a really, really cool, like contract, a, a, a point of, of of communication, and you're saying, look, you know, we'll throw it over the wall, <laughs> give us that back, and you know, we'll we'll communicate the value via mm. that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to I want to backtrack a little bit because I'm really curious as well, and I think it's an interesting topic around. So, the way that you you mentioned. It's not from a marketing perspective that you go in and you blossom from the inside. It's not like an intentional thing. And, but you found that that's the way you do it and that's cool and that's what works. But the way that we approach things is from the offset, before we even go in, we, we basically, if someone schedules a call with me, I'm already on the, not defensive, but I'm already thinking, what is the real reason here? Mm whether it's that you don't want to get fired or this is your like last chance at you know you know making a name for yourself and your company yeah. or it's i don't know anything really they come to you with a symptom yeah and you're a doctor and this is the way I think about it you're a doctor you think you've got a cough or some it's probably you've got some lung issues going on and that's the way I sort of approach it and the way that you've approached things is sort of going in and you do it from the inside. And I, I think they're both, whichever one is better or worse, I think they're both um, really glamorizing. I think that's the right word. It's this, this idea that there's never, there's always a bigger issue. 
exactly that. there's always a bigger problem that's there to be solved and it's not it's it's, it's all, almost always not the thing that you're yeah. there to do i don't know i don't know if you've picked up the theme yet but it's all i i strongly believe most of the problems in a large organization is communication oh yeah well yeah. i mean i didn't pick up that one specifically <laughs> but but yeah 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 but um it's it's you know again i've got a highly highly functional team and i've got a non-functional team you know where are the inputs and where are the outputs how do they actually communicate with one another is the functional team actually being functional within the larger organization is it you know is there a way to actually balance these things out and make both of them functional you know, how do we communicate the various values and the various challenges within the organization? Uh, touching on exactly what you just said right now, when we go in, it's normally we go in to help out the non-functioning team. But you realize more often than not that the non-functioning team is actually pretty functional and high value. It's the process around them. And that's where you get called in because you solve those other problems while still doing what you get called in for initially. And it's other departments or it's other people within the organization that then see all of a sudden you've pulled this um, this team that wasn't necessarily as valuable as other teams. All of a sudden, you know, you've actually helped them voice what they're actually doing within the organization. You're, 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 you're essentially helping that sore point. And then, you know, you're, you're essentially, you're, you're pulling that sore point up and then you're helping everything else with that. So with with radically then, when you're when you're making these hires, it sounds like development actually yes you want a competent developer, yeah. but really you're looking for an eighty twenty split where they're capable and competent of being a developer, but really are you looking for people who are seeking the bigger picture and who are proactive in their kind of people skills and things like that? Am I right in assuming whether this is a crude way of saying it or not? The developer thing is almost like a front to you getting in and solving the bigger problem. That's exactly that. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't frame it as a front. <laughs> I mean, we do, we do solve digital problems with code, in my defence. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not that. It's, I mean, at the end of the day. If you're a relatively experienced developer, you can pick up most languages within a, a small period of time. You know, you, you begin to recognize these patterns. You kind of understand how these systems all interact with each other. You may not necessarily be able to pick up on what the gold standard is. But more often than not, if you have an overall picture of the system, you can talk to other people and actually figure out how these things, you know, should look or how they should do that. So when we interview developers, um, and I don't like that word, when we interview engineers at Radically Digital, we try to test their systems thinking as best as we can. So the interview process, there's an initial screening because, again, as much as recruiters do offer that initial screening value, more often than not, they don't, uh, they'll look for as many buzzwords as they can and not necessarily a, a certain particular experience within a certain field. So we have that initial screening interview and that kind of, you know, make sure that we're all on the same page. And the, 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 the engineer that we're hiring, you see, you've said developer too many times and now it's in my head. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the engineer that we're actually hiring kind of understands what consulting is all about. All right. And they don't want to necessarily sit within a particular product. They want to become 
uh, very T-shaped, you know, a broad base, but specialized within whatever their experience is, or, you know, they want to develop that specialization, but they have one part of that T. And yeah, so so that's that's our initial thing. We want to make sure that we're on the same page and that they're they're as enthusiastic as we are about them joining us. The second part is a systems uh, uh, test. So although we try to choose the tools that they're normally used to, because interviews are stressful. You know, there's there's no reason to make a, uh, an interview any more stress out than it is. You don't you don't get an honest, transparent conversation. It's really really hard to actually try to break down those various barriers. Is this person actually putting up on the front? You know, is this person actually being honest? Basically, what we're trying to understand is is this a person that I will sit on the phone at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> trying to fix a bug in production that they may have accidentally pushed into that? Or, you know, even even solving somebody else's bug. But is this is this somebody that I feel like could work within our team? That that does bring up other challenges within hiring biases and all that. Um, but essentially essentially is this is this somebody that, that can actually communicate their problems? Is this somebody that can actually break down a problem into a certain amount of steps? Can they actually formulate a step by step plan? You know, can they actually tell me what they have done, what they haven't done? So what we typically try to do is we try to give them a very, very comfortable technical test, but then at the same time throw in a couple of things like media, um, so literal media, as in can they can they can they figure out how a radio, uh, an internet radio, is actually being streamed through to their browser at that point? How do we break down where the queries and requests are going? You know, how do they actually? break this problem down into a series of steps and actually ask us as an interviewer, I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what, what, what's going on here. Cool. Let's break it down. How did we actually get to this point? Well, this is, this and this. Okay, cool. Well, let's think about, let's, let's, let's bubble up a little bit. You know, how do, how do network requests, you know, how do, how are we getting that data within our browser? Let's look at the network request tab or let's look at, you know, where's that button bound within the source code? How do we actually, you know, break that? So you give them a couple of leading questions, and it is, it is as genuinely as I can say, a pairing test where you do know the answer. But, um, you know, we, we're trying to have that honest conversation, but we're initially we're really trying to hit that that barrier and trying to get a vulnerable conversation from that person because we don't want them to be brave and, um, for lack of a better word, bullshitty from the get-go. <laughs> um yeah, so, and then after that, it then moves into the third stage with um, a consulting interview. So can this person actually present something? And again, it can be calm and casual and, and totally informal. And what we do try to do is we do try to play a fun game of slide roulette. So we'll ask them to prepare like one or two slides about something that, anything that they're passionate about. And we'll throw something like a giraffe in the middle of their slide deck. And we'll be like, you know, are they are they fun and casual enough? Can they just carry on talking without a flow? Because they were expecting a curveball within the entire thing, but you know, can they keep their flow? And will they actually have fun? You know, we want to try and make it as fun as possible, um, and just make sure that they they understand that the system, you know, that they're getting involved in. Mm. How do you so judging by the interview stage? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It, it it doesn't seem much in there around there. Like you say, you're going in and you're looking for these problems, opportunities, I guess, almost. Yeah. How do you nourish that culture around their 
enthusiasm to seek out challenges and they could just go in, do their job and leave. How do you nurture that enthusiasm to go and seek out where the problems lie? I'd, I'd like to think that the interview process does, it, it, it brings out that it, it really highlights their ability to see where problems are and how to be vulnerable enough to actually point a finger and poke at it and just be like, you know, um, yeah, this is this is this is uncomfortable. I can't quite, you know, I can't quite figure this out. This is uncomfortable, and it's not up to them. I mean, we don't expect people to sell work, but being able to actually communicate to your leadership team and say to them, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm doing exactly what I'm told to do. You know, exactly what you wanted to, but uh, this doesn't feel right. How do we make a change here?" And if that person is curious they'll probably investigate it themselves and try to formulate the question, formulate the, the process, and at least maybe even try and test their own hypothesis. That's all up to the individual. But have we, have we created this culture of transparency and curiosity for people to actually be able to say, hey, something just doesn't quite feel right. I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't know what it is. You know, can you come and sit with me for one day? Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's that's a really nice thing. I'm reading a book at the moment, speaking about culture yeah. and stuff, and and he really takes a stab at tech startups, saying having a ping pong table and beers on a Friday is not culture. Yeah, that is that's perks. Yeah, whereas culture is it's deeper than that. It is, it's it's called a road less stupid if you're interested in that. It, it it's deeper than. It's finding people who are, are enthusiastic and who don't let themselves down. Yeah. That they're ready to pick themselves back up and drive with their own intentions and all the rest of it. And it's great. And it, it feels like Radically Digital are really promoting their, you're your own CEO, you're your own exactly boss. That. And you've got a, you're responsible for your your own sex, uh, success is on the line here, really. Yeah. And, um, I th- it sounds like they're really passionate about so, it. So although the interview process does seem quite fun and casual, we do do quite a bit of vetting as far as their CVs are concerned. I mean, I can I can throw anybody an interview and I can ask them to solve an algorithm. I can ask them to write a coding test in a particular language. We do look at people with their experience and we do make sure that, but you can only take a CV at face value and you can only take a one or two hour interview at face value. You know, at the end of the day, you kind of have to have a little bit of faith in that person. So yes, we do hire on culture, but we also do hire on what experience that that person does say that they have. So the other thing is that we also like to make sure that, and this is something that um, Anne Digital said, at, it was it was literally like a theme of the quarter, but I absolutely loved it. And words are actually quite important to me. I, I've not always the most eloquent person as, as much as I'd like to be at least but um, words are quite important to me and there's actually a, the reason behind the reason, uh, the name Radicky but um, there was a word that they used and it was called empower and it was kind of you know you get you get it thrown into every you know day-to-day kind of conversation but you know they really really drilled it home and they were like you know how do we actually empower you and it was kind of like it, it turned the entire thing it wasn't it wasn't kind of the the business was like you know we're we're the we're the force and you're part of us you know it was kind of like you're your own individual you know you've got us behind you what do you want to do 
it, it kind of it kind of shifted that entire perspective, and that's entirely the thing. Do you align with Do you align with the greater vision? You know, are you a good human? And you know, how how can we actually just allow you to be the cleverest person that you want to be? You know, do do what you're good at. Um, and that that's exactly it. You know, it's trying to create these themes of empowerment without actually using the word empowerment because I feel like that word just gets taken for granted. Um. Yeah, so it's it's trying to create that, and hundred percent, you know, uh, the 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 intern that um, we've just taken on, he said to me the other day, um, I'd really really like to build a mobile app. I said, cool. I was like, let's do it in three months. I was like, there's there's the deadline. I was like, I'm going to do everything that I can do to actually help you out and make sure that you know we can build this together. I said, and the other thing is, I was like, I want a full MVP. I was, yeah, let's run this like an actual product. All right, it's yours. We don't own any IP into that. I'll, I'll spend my weekends building it with you if if you want. But um, you know, let's get this thing out the door within three months. You know, tell me what your product is and let's hone that vision down and then let's let's build it out to stages what we think are valuable to users. Let's run that entire process. And if he goes off to make a million pounds at the end of the year, that's all on him. That's great. You know and. You know, we got to give him that awesome experience within his career, and that's what it's all about. But I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw a curveball, right? So, do you use recruiters um, uh, to to find your talent? We we did initially, but um, we found we were still having to do a significant amount of vetting. The only value that a recruiter actually brings to us is um, their portfolio of candidates. Um, I've, I'm try, I, I try to be as involved as I can, as many communities as I can. Um, I'm still pretty active in the Makers Alumni. I'm fairly active in TechLondon.io, and I try to try to be as collaborative as I can, and, and you know, offer help wherever I can. But more often than not, whenever I put out a job posting where we were trying to recruit people, we find out at a later stage after we've hired them that they've been a member of that community the entire time, but we still get their CV through a recruiter. So we're trying to actually revisit why we're not getting the effect that we want out of those communities um, as far as recruitment is concerned and trying to shift that up. Um, Yeah, we've definitely use recruiters in the past and there are a couple that we do work with that are that are brilliant um but usually we don't work with recruiters if we can help it and and you say that um recruiters look for buzzwords that they um pick up on and they're not really too knowledgeable on technology they they, they've probably got hundreds of uh, cvs they need to sieve through and they're probably looking for easy quick identifiers right let's call them identifiers do you think there's potentially a, a a situation or an issue in recruitment where they're that they're immediately not paying attention to female developers because we're still in this movement of female developers they must not like development or like you know underprivileged you know people or or marginalized people or anything like that but I'm just thinking about a line of, you know, another person in the way yeah. of prejudice. Uh, because the thing I was talking with my dad about with regards to the back, 
uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And we spoke about football in this example. And he said, like, managers are just looking for the best players. And if those players manage to not be black, then the manager can't be held accountable for them. But let's say, you know, radically digital are football managers. Where in that chain of events are people being prejudiced and maybe innocently as well, but yeah. like I say, you know, like are radically digital cognizant of that yeah. and, and what are you guys doing about that? So we've always, so this is one of the things and one of the most awesome companies that I ever worked at, um, well, one of the most awesome companies that we ever consulted at was TalkTalk Talk. and they didn't, they weren't super, super pro um, LGBT, and they weren't advertising that all over. But it was the most LGBT-friendly environment I've ever worked at in my entire life. It was absolutely incredible. You had people that were comfortable to to come dressed as how they would want to dress. You know, you had people that were very, very open. You know, open with their conversations. It was amazing. And you work at all these other companies, and they're punting these stats, they're punting these figures. It just feels dirty. We do, and again, this is this is the other thing is that with recruiters looking for those those buzzwords, and you you know, um, people may not have had the exact same opportunities as other people. So you had this whole football football manager. You know, I could be from a very very wealthy and affluent area. I could have been exposed to the best football coaches in the country. I could have played for all the clubs and everything like that. And you have another um, lesser privileged person that didn't get all those opportunities, had to go for, you know, had to work hard in school. They had to get, you know, work really, really hard to get out of there, get to university and all that type of stuff. Their focus wasn't on that because they were just busy trying to survive. They didn't, you know, they weren't good at football at seven years old. You know, they didn't it didn't necessarily get exposed to all those cool opportunities like other people would have. The only advice I, I don't I don't know how to solve this problem. All right. It's I think it's a very, very hard problem to solve, and I don't think that many tech companies ever solve that. But the only thing that I can say is get involved with those open communities. Go to te- you know, get involved within whatever events there are in that area. Go to techlondon.io that, you know, you can join that online right now. You know, go talk to the various boot camps, you know, go go get involved and just communicate. And if you're an introvert, <laughs> yeah, that's a challenge. And unfortunately, I'm not faced with that challenge. But, you know, there, there are other ways to contribute towards open source projects. You know, use something that you're good at or something that you're comfortable at, maybe not even good at, so something that you're comfortable at and try and get out there. And again, just have those conversations and network in the way that you're comfortable in networking and figure that out. And, you know, make the changes of the things that you actually care about. You know, I, I would like to see that, but there are other things that I prioritize on. And there's a lot of things that I will do to help you do you know, to help you with the causes that you care about. Just like I would expect you to help me with the causes that I care about. All right. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a good human and I feel like you're a good human too. And I will do the most that I can do to actually help you feel empowered. Mm. Mm. So. It's, it's interesting because I, I feel like we've gone completely full circle right now because, because one of the first things we spoke about is how do you learn to development, yeah. right? How did you get into development and all the rest of it? Yeah. Now we're in a situation where 
and and you raise the education aspect, which again, with my arguments with, well, not argument, but when I in a conversation with my dad, when I when I was talking with my dad about it, I was saying like, the manager might be good, good faced. They're only accepting the best football players and the FA, you know, they might be, again, good people. But where really where, where the, the diversification or the prejudice goes right back, right back to their, their schooling, yeah. their, their infant school education. And you've got black or you've got, you know, minorities, um, those people reaching an age of 18 or 25 where they haven't had the education and they're not as quick to, yeah. to, to learn things or they might not be, um, you know, they might not stand out as a CV. But what you're encouraging them to do is just to get involved. Uh, the education's out there for free. The development community are very, very welcoming of, of all types of people. And I think the development community in particular um, are so welcoming and, and they love to teach and they love to embrace yeah. people at all kind of levels. And there's no, never really a better time to, to learn development because the resources are there for free. The community's there to, to embrace you. Um, Radically Digital are there to hire you. I love the name drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, but in all honesty, it, it does come down to a certain point of being vulnerable. And it doesn't matter what position or what level you're in right now. There's a really, really good book by Kim Scott. It's called Radical Candor. And, oh, shit, is it Radical Candor? It is Radical Candor, but I can't remember if this is what it actually talks about now. But there's okay. a really, really... <laughs> oh. Well, maybe we'll put it in the uh, show description then if we figure out the name of the book. Yeah, okay, cool, sorry. <laughs> but there's a really, really good book by Radical Kendo, and I could be mistaken, but they, they talk about how to be vulnerable within your team, you know, how to have these candid conversations with various people within your, within your, within your, um, within your team, within your company, uh, within your community. So, you know, you're never going to get selected to be a football player if you've never played football in your life. All right. But if you can dribble a ball and I could do with a person in my local club, I can dribble a ball and I can see that they're enthusiastic and I can see that they understand the methodology behind it. And all it takes is a little bit of training and a little bit of coaching. hundred percent. That's what we had to do. But it does take a certain amount of vulnerability from your side in order to be able to, um, you know, reach out and make sure i mean the community the, the club the community everything kind of exists out there and they do have open arms but there's a little bit of vulnerability that's required to meet us halfway i think well vulnerability being a key word there i think regardless if you're amazing or terrible or vulnerability or i'm thinking transparency in my mind mm. people need to be more vulnerable people need to be more open about what they're good at or what they're bad at because we're all we're all continually making assumptions about things exactly. because we might think someone's really good at something or we might think someone's bad at something you know if they're bad at something we might give them the opportunities that they need to get better or if they're good at something yeah. we might you know we could be misinformed and and actually they need support in areas because and we let them carry the weight of the world on their shoulders so yeah. vulnerability and transparency is kind of key to um and communication as well it's all it's all part of communication and and being 
open I, and honest. I think that there is still a challenge, though, in, you know, again, it's, it's all very well. You don't know what somebody's background is and whether or not they can actually be vulnerable within that situation. And that's all fine. That's fair enough. But, you know, I've tried to create an environment around me where the immediate bubble, as much as I can affect within my direct control, I've tried to make sure that everything around me can, you know, be open, transparent and honest, and I'm not going to completely tear it to pieces. Um, you know, I, I will try and give as much crit constructive criticism as I can. And, you know, we're just trying to be yeah, helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, I've got to wrap up there. Okay. So honestly, man, We're, that was a really good conversation. Sorry, man. I realized you Glad. didn't get into coding like you wanted to. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And and that's fine. Like it got to a point where, you know what, we're having a great conversation around just everything, really. Jesus. I was going to say, I really, I really do want to tell you the radically digital name, but that's all good. Go on. Go on, man. <laughs> so I was going to say, um, I remember... I mean, we all grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, and, you know, you were surrounded by this name radically. Uh, you know, it's radical, dude. And you kind of always have these connotations about, you know, it's this very, very hip kind of word and, you know, very, very uh, it's colloquial. And I remember one day I was, I was stuck. My dad was busy helping out with a, a machine that his company was installing, and, you know, he went to go and supervise. And I sat there in this hospital room and they, were, they had these medical magazines and they were talking about this radical treatment for cancer. I was like, it just really sat, sat and struck me. And I was like, but this is such a serious thing. You know, how are you, how are you radical? And then there's cancer. Like, <laughs> why would you do that? And you read into it and it's, it's all about a radical transformation. It's almost 180 degree or just a slight kind of, you know, we're, we're, you know, moving in a, in a slightly different direction or a, a radical direction. And it's not something that was quite expected. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. Oh, nice. That's a, that's a nice little tidbit there. That's cool. I, I absolutely love it. That's <laughs> no, really cool. Who, was it you who then proposed yeah. Radical Digital and then Bobby was like, yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah. Nice. I, think, I think the name meant more to me and I sold it to everybody else. <laughs> no, that's cool. It's good. And do you like being called Rad or Radical or do you like radically digital or radically um I, I do try to call it radically digital just so that, that, that there's the full brand and name but um i do try to shorten it out to, and every so often slip in you know like we we have a whole bunch of rads or you know we have we had we have a we have a we have a thing that we, we've tried to spin up um we've put it on hold because of just covid and also just how incredibly busy we've been so far but um we try to start rad school so there was a play on grad school and then there's also been there's also been other things you know where you know this person's been rad this month you know let's give them you know let's give them a shout out or you know send them an Amazon voucher or like you know nice yeah. it's good that it just works in so many different contexts exactly then, that. isn't it exactly that I've definitely been honed in from Bobby a few times it's like <laughs> yeah, you, you've said you've said rad three or four times today let's, let's calm down <laughs> oh, mate you gotta gotta advertise you gotta promote you yeah. know. <laughs> breathed and eaten cool awesome nice one dude thanks that was a lot more fun than i thought it was going to be <laughs> there we go